Welcome to Exploring Possibility. I'm your host, Christopher Giel, and with this show, my mission is to empower you. I want to inspire those who have forgotten their true worth, their highest potential, and their ultimate capability. I'll be exploring topics that are aimed towards personal growth to help you gain insight and approach life with new perspectives. I want you to increase your impact and help you live a more fulfilling life because limited thinking equals limited being. Let the show begin. Hi there, guys, and welcome to Exploring Possibility. This is episode number 26. My name is Christopher, and if you're tuning in for the first time, this is my warm welcome to you, just saying hi and how's it, and I hope that you have a great time. If you don't mind hitting that subscribe button, that will make sure that you stay tuned to all the episodes and not miss out on any future episodes. And then to all my other listeners that have been with me the, the past following weeks and also months, Guys, so happy to just have you back um, learning with me again, growing today and exploring all things possibility. So yeah, firstly, once again, subscribe if you haven't subscribed to the show yet. And then also, if you believe in this, in the following phrase that, or the idea that believing in a world that we can't yet see, then this show is for you. If you guys hear any raindrops at the back of me, that's because in sunny South Africa, we don't have a sunny day today. We actually have a little bit of rain. It's actually so calming and it just rejuvenated me this morning as I did my meditation or new type of visualization technique that I tried out this morning, but more on that on another date. Let me introduce you to today's guests because I want to continue to explore possibility. I want to continue to explore ideas that inspire people that empower and just ideas that impact. So let's move forward on this journey as we expand our potential and discuss, you know, things around the mind, especially today. So let me introduce you to Sebastian Little, who's going to be our guest today. He's an NCAA division football player. He's a leadership speaker, a mental performance coach among many other things. So having learned, implemented, studied, and taught mental performance strategies, Sebastian retains an authentic firsthand connection between theory and application. And trust me, that is very true for Sebastian. I'm literally so excited to just share with you our interview that we did. I mean, this guy, yes, he shocked me with all his amazing, amazing, amazing advice and his deep, thorough knowledge on mental performance. He frequently works with individual athletes, uh, with teams and with schools to drive results at all levels of the organization. And his mission, in short, is to build a world where leaders, teams and organizations show up and perform at their best every single day. This man just wants to leave a positive dent in the world and throughout our conversation, you'll just hear the magic, you'll hear the the wisdom and you'll hear the experience in what, he's, in what he speaks about. So just shortly, we spoke about mental game, you know, the importance of working on the mental game, the actual rewards of high performance and how we can improve our mental capacity. That's just some of the things that we touched on and, you know, they, they, there were so many key takeaways. So as you listen throughout this episode, I want you to think about a few different things, maybe one or two things. Just keep in mind, at what level are you playing? At what level do you feel your mental game is at? Do you feel your mental game can improve? And also, what type of level are you performing at? at? Are you really highly productive and performing at a level that you are 
happy with? Or are you living life and approaching life and living life at a level of mediocrity? Think about that as you move throughout this episode and how you can improve those things and then listen out for the pointers that Sebastian gives us to move forward in life. So let's continue to explore the ideas. Let's continue to explore the people that can help us move forward and expand our potential. Let's keep this going, guys. Enjoy the episode. Hi there, Sebastian, and welcome to Exploring Possibility. Man, I'm so excited to have you on the show today. Man, I'm so pumped to be here. Thank you much, so much for having me. Awesome. So let's jump right in. Like, What's your deal with uh, free hugs? <laughs> free hugs. Um, <laughs> so listen, I, uh, I uh, had a, you know, the incredible opportunity to work with an organization called Sweethearts and Heroes, which um, does basically anti-bullying work for your elementary, middle school, high school, high school students. And they do a really great job. And we got hooked up with them, you know, connected through a friend. And we ended up bringing my, my team, my Yale football team over to um, one of the venues. We set up, set up a, an event with a group of middle schoolers. And we all got free, hug t- free hugs t-shirts. Um, and it says on the back side of it, it says squeeze for oxytocin, which is, you know, the love ke- chemical, the relationship chemical. Um, and then like <laughs> there was one time, listen, you can't make this up. There's one time I'm walking, um, I'm walking across a baseball field with it. And this girl sprints up to me and gives me a hug. And like, I was, I was just shook. Like I was, I was shocked. I didn't know what was going on. Mm. But I, realized I had the free hugs t-shirt on. I had just thrown it on earlier that morning and she was responding to my prompt for my t-shirt. And I was like, what is going on right now? That is crazy. So anyway, we've got, some, we've got a few good stories off the free hugs t-shirts as well. Oh, that is super cool. I, like I'm just thinking now, would I go and hug someone that has a, like hug me sort of like shirt right, on? Right. And I'm, I don't know, I'm in between. Like I want to, but I'm also like, you know, a little <laughs> bit like afraid I'm in that corner. But um, yeah, to those, to those now listening and they're hearing us to speak, I'm sure... Um, that they want to know who I'm speaking to. So Sebastian, just like, tell us a little bit more about yourself. Like, who is Sebastian? Yeah, man. Yeah, and, I, and feel free to drill in as uh, if, if I miss it or gloss over any details. Um, so my name is Sebastian Little. Uh, I'm from Cheshire, Connecticut, which is a town in, uh, in central Connecticut. Um, grew up playing every sport under the sun. Grew up with, you know, mom and grandma calling me in for dinner for mac and cheese and then sprinting right back outside to go mm-hmm. play with my boys. Um, you know, just, you know, blessed in terms of the neighborhood and the people that I was able to grow up with, uh, played football and basketball in high school, um, kind of started to really look at those as my, as my main two sports. I played basketball, like I played football. So if that tells you anything about my, my touch, um, or jump shot, it wasn't very good. <laughs> um, and then somehow found my way, got, you know, wiggled my way into Yale university. They, they, you know, under the grace of God, let me in and, uh, you know, finagled the resume and, um, spent five years at Yale University. I tore my MCL my freshman year, my ACL my senior year. And only only reason for really mentioning that is because it was such a big part of my journey and how I learned what patience was and how I learned what process was. And, um, you know, through pain comes a lot of resilience. So those are some really, you know, really big growth experiences for me. But my sophomore year, you know, uh, we had a guy by the name of Brian Kane, who's a friend and a mentor to me. He's a mental performance coach, works with a lot of high-level college teams, professional teams, pro athletes. And he came into Yale, you know, Yale football, and, he, and he, he, I'm sitting in front row, and he's, he's talking about this, this concept and this strategy and this tactic. And I'm sitting in front, I'm, I'm just absorbing everything. And I reached out to him afterwards and said, hey, sir, you know, how, how do you do what you do? You know, how did you get into it? Because it was entertaining, but it was also really you know, enriching in terms of lining up with a lot of the things I was learning in the classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, and said, why don't you go back and reach out to your high school and see if you can do something similar? 
Um, so that was the first, leaned into the first mental performance program I ever did with my high school football team, which was incredible. And uh, since then, I've worked with probably 20 to 30 teams and a ton of keynotes um, and currently find myself at the McChrystal Group, which is a leadership and organizational management consulting firm um, based in uh, Alexandria, Virginia. And truly, truly love the work I get to do there. I'm focusing right now on experiential learning. So how do we maximize the learner experience? Um, and it's just been, it's been, it's been a blessing. So it's been a fun ride so far. I'm doing some coaching on the side right now, getting certified as we speak. And uh, yeah, it's, it's been fun. Oh, that is awesome, man. Thank you so much for touching on those few things there. There's one thing, the, the, the sort of like accident you had with your, like the injury you sustained a few years ago. I'm going to touch on that a little bit later because that's like an interesting story and I want to see how you jump back out of that because that's going to be, there's something, there's going to be a nugget in there that we all can learn from and take, um, especially the process that you perhaps went through. But now, firstly, the, the thing that struck me while you were saying like, what happened to you and how you got here today is the fact that you, you spoke to Brian when he came to speak to you. And something that I take out of that is you followed that spark of curiosity as you followed that moment where you thought, wow, this is so interesting. Let me touch on that. And now why I'm saying that is because a lot of people, they have these, these, these moments where they, where it's like something comes to mind and they have like an amazing idea or literally just the idea to go up and speak to someone, but they don't follow through. Yeah. And I found that is like one of those moments that we should like honor and take forward and take the courage to jump into no matter how scary it is. So just thank you for pointing it out as well. I think we can take that just from your intro right there, which is amazing. And people can definitely follow through on that. But the reason why I have you today is to speak about the mental game, right? Like I'm, I think we both very fascinated by the mind and its capabilities yeah. and all everything around that. So I know personally some folks that they just focus so much on like the outer tactics and strategies, which is all fine. It helps you get from point A to point B, but they typically neglect or like miss the mark when it comes to developing and working on their mental game. So perhaps just to start us off, what, just so we have some context, uh, what is the, what is the mental game to you? Yeah. Yeah. So I think Yogi Berra said it best. He said, um, you know, during training, uh, 90% of the game is physical, 10% is mental. But when, when you flip on the, when you, you know, we turn the lights and it's game time, 90% of the game becomes mental, 10, 10% becomes physical. And as you go higher and higher and up in athletics, what you'll see is that the talent gap starts to shrink more and more, right? Mm -hmm. So at high school level, you can be the best, you know, you could be the best player on the field. You can know who the best player is on the field. Uh, when you get to college, that gap narrows. And when you get to professionals, everybody's running fast. Everybody's big, everybody's strong, right? Um, and I'll just, I'll use my sport of football here, but you can extend the metaphor across, across yeah. any sport. And what becomes more and more important is, is how you are, are, are executing the fundamentals and, and how you're executing the fundamentals comes to your mental game. So we, when we talk about the mental performance, the, that aspect of it, it's, it's the, the mindset that you're taking when you're approaching the field and the strategies in which you're doing to de-escalate when you hit those red lights, red lights being those oh crap moments that everybody has <laughs> when you drop a ball or um, you miss a bucket or you know whatever else happens when you make a mistake. And it's the athletes that are able to recover from those mistakes that we oftentimes see at the, at the very peak of their game. Right. So it almost, like, almost sounds like the ability to bounce back in a way. And yeah. in a form also, it's got to do with resilience as well, right? If I'm not exactly the market. Exactly. Yep. And then now you, you speaking about like the 90%. Uh, my next question would lead into like how important have you found it to work on your mental game to like reach that optimal, you know, performance line? How important do you find working with all these teams and athletes and people and 
people in organizations, how, how important do you find it to actually work on the mental game? Just so we put it on the, on the hot seat now and say like, listen, we gotta, we gotta put some attention to this. We don't just neglect it and think life is going to work out, you know, by itself. Like how important do you find it? Yeah, I, I'm going to answer in, in two in a fork here. So I'm going to say one, what happens when things aren't good and what happens when things are trending right, um, which is typically where we're finding ourselves. We're never, we're never usually plateauing that much. And if we yeah. are, there's, that's another question. Um, <laughs> but what happens when things are going really well? It's typically when you're getting really intentional about your habits, um, your thought patterns, your self-talk, your, th- those common things that we've often talked about. A lot of that mental game st- is structured around routine. And routine versus ritual, I had a really good distinction about the routine versus ritual. Ritual is the, the socks, the, your lucky socks that you put on or your lucky underwear you put on before a speech, right? <laughs> There's actually nothing there that's going to enrich your performance, right? right. It might just be a, a mental tick that, hey, I've done, the, I've done the things I need to do. I'm wearing the right deodorant, so on and so forth, right? But ultimately, like, it's not going to help actually help your performance. There's the other aspect of the routine of before this, this podcast, one of the things I always do is I, I listen to my speaking warm up because I knew that I was going to have to enunciate. I had to make sure I'm, uh, my tone is going to fluctuate up and down. So I wanted my vocal range to be higher. I have a certain process that I use before I speak or before I'm working with somebody to make sure that I'm ready and primed for that moment. Right? That is something that's going to directly impact my performance. It's also, in, in my mind, it's one of those boxes that I can check to say, yes, I'm ready. So when I was on the field and when I was playing, one of the things that I really used and I had to, had to learn how to, to play with in temper, it took me until my sophomore year of college to figure this out, was how to use music effectively. Music wow. being a pretty big trigger for emotion and motivation. And what I was doing before was I was actually burning myself out before, the, before I needed to peak. So if we look at, get a little nerdy here, like the yerkes dodson curve, which really maps across um, arousal and time, or arousal and level of performance. When you first wake out, get out of bed, low arousal, you're probably not going to perform very well, right? Mm-hmm. But you, everybody has that peak of like, I know at 11 a.m. after I do X, Y, and Z that I'm going to play and perform at my best. Yeah. What I had to realize was that I couldn't listen to Drake and Future and all my headbanger stuff when I first woke up because then I would be out of energy. I'd be out of juice when it actually mattered in the first quarter. So I started timing myself. I started listening to your, your John Mayer, your Justin Bieber, your country music, really low-key things before that you know, as soon as I woke up to as close as I possibly could to game time. And then luckily enough, I actually controlled the music for our pregame warm up. And then I would turn on your Drake, your future, your, your hype stuff. And that mm. for me was a huge trigger, right? So being able to use that as a routine and play, being able to plug that in was something that directly influenced the way that I played. Now, if we go the other direction and we say, okay, what happens when things are not going well? Yeah. Right. So that's the negative self-talk. You're talking to yourself and you're saying, Hey, I, I suck. Um, this is not going well. Um, I can't do this at all anymore, right? Those are the moments in which you got to figure out how do I pull myself back to a standard level? Or how, how do I pull myself back to green when green lights, everything's all go? That's when it gets a little bit more tricky. That's when you're using things like your breath, being able to send yourself back on the present moment because it's hard to be angry, frustrated, sad when you're really truly focusing on the, the thing that's most intentional with us, our, our breath, right? It's an automatic bodily process that when we get intentional, it all of a sudden, it allows us to kind of alleviate, decrease stress, cortisol levels drop, and so on and so forth. So those strategies are also equally as important. That, that is quite an exciting view of how you split those two and how you, what, what, I, what I personally took from that is the fact that you set yourself up for success in so many ways, um, especially now before in this interview as well. I did the same thing. I was doing like a pronunciation exercise so I can actually stretch out my mouth and talk yeah. properly. Otherwise, yep. you know, close mouth and you don't. You don't 
understand this until you listen back and you start like giving yourself feedback and going through the motions to see like you measure your performance in a way and see what you can do better and then go and find the things that you can be better at. And I really like where you took that conversation because it, it leads like right into my next idea. And that is, it's got to do with the idea of how high do we need to set the bar without burning out? Mm. Yeah. So like, what, what would yep. you answer? Like, what is your answer to something like that? Cause now we want to, we want to start to think, okay, cool. We're going to take the route of planning and performing high, high level. We're going to move forward. We're going to do all these strategies and stuff. But when is too much, too much, what is too high? Is there such thing as too high? I mean, there's so many questions in there, but you can start where you feel comfortable. Yeah. I'm going to start with a, a simple equation, which is growth equals stress plus rest. Um, and I got that from a good friend of mine named Brian, Brian Levinson, who's got a, a great podcast. He talks about this idea of growth equals stress plus rest. And the reason why we're able to grow, if you think about a muscle, right? And you, you in the fitness field can explain this better than I can. When you're stressing a muscle, you're breaking down that muscle just a little bit in order for it to get bigger, right? Be able to, to, to stretch it, to pull it, to, to, um, to stress it in order for it to, then the rest period is really the important part of it where it actually starts to grow and get stronger, right? So if we look at that in terms of our own personal growth, there's a very similar, uh, I'd say there's a very similar in terms of when we're trying to grow, especially skill acquisition. We're trying to get better at something that we already know, or we're trying to rapidly acquire a new skill. And when we look at skill acquisition, one of the first parts is just being able to understand it cognitively. What am I trying to do? So if I'm trying to dribble a soccer ball or play a piano, what are the basic keys? What are the basic skill sets that I need to do? The next part is the intentional practice. And the intentional practice is really where that stress comes in. If you're not pushing the envelope almost to failure, close to failure, you're not actually going to reap the benefits of doing so. Right? Mm -hmm. That's when you start to plateau. And we talked about plateau. That's the, that's the risk and the danger in plateauing. When you're doing an, a level in which you know that you can do competently, yeah. pushing yourself, pushing the next Beethoven, the next Mozart piece that you can do on the piano is ultimately what's going to get you to that next level of mastery. Right? So when I look at what's, what's the proper level, I'm trying to make myself just uncomfortable enough that I would probably not want to do it. So before, before a big speech, before a big, you know, big, I've been doing a lot of facilitation recently. I typically pick two things that I'm really going to try to work on and nail that are going to up my game. Now, I also will experiment a little bit in that because I'm at the point now where I can play and juggle a little bit. So how, where's my room to experiment and where's my room to fail? Let's play in that area. I think that is such a cool equation and the like, step-by-step process that someone can follow to to move into and just you going forward, I'm going to actually write that down in the notes of this and the show notes of this episode as well. So people can just go and back and reference yeah. that as well. Perhaps write it down somewhere just to understand it and then implement it in their own lives. Chris, can I, can I also, can I add one thing here? One, one thing I'm noticing even in the style. So as I was listening to some of your other podcasts, but even right now, it's really, um, it's a good best practice just to call out. So one of the biggest ways that we can all learn, um, and Adam Grant talks about this. He's an yeah. organizational psychologist from Wharton. Um, does really incredible work. And he talks about one of the, some of the best ways in which we can learn. So things like space repetition, space repetition. So if you look at the amount of times that you're, you're looking at or viewing material over time, mm -hmm. we typically forget about 80% of what we learn within the first 24 hours, right? One of the things that you're doing right now, even actively on this, on this, on this call is you're distilling down and you're creating a bottom line 
from a lot of the things that we're talking about mm-hmm. and you're sharing it out. So by you putting it in your own words and yet by you conceptualizing it in the way that you see, you're actually getting a, a huge ROI from just doing that, that practice alone. I think that's the best practice that anybody listening to this podcast can take. It's, it's typically you get so used to doing things. And I know that I've gotten used to the idea where someone shows me something or teaches me something mm. or I go and learn something. And then I go and sit back and I just put whatever I thought I learned or I think I just learned into my own words. And then if the person is there, then I'm lucky that I can just sort of like regurgitate that back to them. And then they say, yeah, then they will say, that's what I meant. Yes, you just learned what I gave you or no, this is what I mean. And mm. yeah, I just, I just want to say thank you for pointing that out again. It's, it's, yeah. it's actually a very crucial skill. And I think it's got a lot to do with um, also like self-awareness up to, uh, and like in a way, because you, you got to be like self-aware to understand what you want to get out of something. And to to actually know that you want to get that out of whatever you're doing at the moment. So, yeah. But <laughs> once again, thank you for pointing it out. I mean, it's yeah. such a no, crucial, it's just, it's a great crucial practice. thing. It's a yeah, great practice. No, excellent practice. Especially if it becomes like a habit, then it's mm. even better. It's part of who you are. The next thing I'm like wondering about is like, as we speak about high performance and mental performance, like it sounds so nice and awesome and things to do, but like, what is the actual rewards? What is the actual things that you find the most rewarding that you get out of bringing your best mental performance to the table and working like from a strong, uh, from a resilient and a focused mindset? Like what are the actual rewards? It could be, I'm sure it's like individual, but there's probably some common theme also that underlines many of them. Like, what would you say? Yeah, that's a hard question. It's a hard one because the benefit of it isn't always written written in the like, uh, by doing X, you're going to get Y. Right? Sometimes it's not that tangible, um, right? It's not that easy. And especially when you're working with athletes, yeah. you don't control winning. It's like one of my favorite conversations to have. And, and I've had people go both sides of the coin. My personal stance is that you don't control winning. You control the factors in preparation, which allow you to perform at your best. But ultimately, when I go play LeBron James in one-on-one, no matter how well I shoot, I'm going to lose, <laughs> right? Like, that's, I, I don't control winning in that case. I control the factors in which I do to, to perform and compete at my best. And guys, listen, this is from a mental performance coach yeah. telling you this. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I think the, the real value is what is the athlete really internalizing? What is the performer really internalizing? And even in the realm right now that I'm in, in the corporate world, when it comes to leadership and like facilitation, which is a performative aspect, a performative, for, a performative form, where, where are your opportunities to grow and, and how are you making sure that the, the feedback that you're getting ends up being more from the audience? It ends, being, ends up being more subjective and anecdotal from your teammates, right? So you know you're on this, this process of growth. You know that you're getting better at things, but you don't always have the, the raw data to tie back to it. And unfortunately, that's the, the unfortunate part about anything that you're working most things that you're working with in psychology in the brain, really hard to map back to a definite ROI. Yeah, that is fascinating. And the reason why I asked that is I found it, uh, you know, happened in my own life. I found it where, or I got myself into situations where I just, I wanted to do something, but I, I never saw, like you said, the ROI. I was never able to see the tangible outcome of what could happen. Like it, it was so tough to measure and hence, why that question I think is so, so valuable. And as I think about the opportunities and rewards that we can actually gain by putting in whatever we can, by not even knowing that we, you know, we don't control the, the, the win at the end of the day, we can control who we are, who we bring to the table, mm-hmm. what our character is and who we are shaped by and become at the end of the day. So I think that's highly important. But now 
The other end of that spectrum is the idea of loss. What do you think are we losing when we neglect working on our mental performance or just our mindset in general? Because now someone might be listening and, and, and think, I'm not going to do whatever these guys are telling me to do because, I mean, I can't see the, the win or the loss here. I just, it's, it's, it's not tangible. It's not happening. But, I mean, if we can point it out to them in some, in some way, then maybe they, we can encourage them to listen and actually apply what we're telling them today. You know, from the psychological or the biological level, we know that, you know, breathing reduces things like cortisol. Um, you know, we can ma map those things out in terms of how intentionally are you with, with your, your check-in techniques, right? We can put brain FRMIs on, on and, and map those things. We know that these things work, um, but I come back to, we don't necessarily, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to win anything. Does it actually prove anything, right? Or does it actually, um, you know, grant you anything? Just because you do X step doesn't mean you get Y. Yeah. Where I think, um, and honestly, where I, I love that you're looking right now is in the realm of potential and possibility. Mm. And what I think you're able to access and why I love this stuff and so passionate about this stuff and honestly love the work and coaching that I'm doing right now so much is because the idea of who you're being and how you're showing up is so much dictated by how you want to choose, where you're choosing from. That is, sits in the mental game. And when people are choosing to come from a place of empowerment versus disempowerment or in some cases indecision, the realm of possibility opens up tenfold exponentially. That's why I get so fired up about this work. Um, and honestly, why, really why I like your, love your work so much is that bringing in the, the idea of being and who, how, do you, how are you showing up um, is such an important question that is often neglected in sport and performance when it comes to doing. Do, do, do. Uh, absolutely. Get, get this out of it. There's more than that. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I, I mean, once again, if I just go look in hindsight of how life has changed for myself personally, of how I showed up when I just asked the question, how am I going to show up today? It changed dramatically. So sometimes it won't show like in the first day or the first week, but over a month, especially if you reflect, if you self-reflect or you ask people, you know, like, have any, has anything changed? Or you reflect and you say, wow, I'm doing these things differently. I'm reacting diff or rather responding differently to situations, you know, that, that come my way. I'm able to be more real, uh, resilient in the way that I approach life. So I just, f I find it <laughs> super valuable and sort of like unmatched in a way that we, we can't neglect working on a mindset. Personally, I work on my mindset every single day where possible. And if I don't, I just get up again and see where I can, you know, fit another, whatever I'm doing in to just keep moving forward. Now, those of us that don't uh, show up every day, you know, as the best version of ourselves, do you think it's because we, we, don't, we don't view it as important or do you think people are fearful like, what do you find in the typical person out there not working on themselves, you know, on themselves every day? Like, why are they not? I want to get into that and see, like, mm. what your perspective is on that and how we can get to those individuals, how someone listening now might be a high performer and they can encourage someone else, pull them towards them and, you know, encourage them also to start working on themselves daily, especially their mindset. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm the, I forgot. I, I know it from Coach Carter. 
Um, but I, I think it might've been my, my Angelou, I, forgot, I always forget the original author, but <laughs> the idea that um, our greatest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our greatest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. Ooh. And I love that quote because I think fear is such a driver. It's masked in so many different ways, right? It's, it's um, we have so many different survival mechanisms that's, that, pre- you know, prevent us from penetrating into that real fear. I think for some people it's playing small. Um, I think even the way that I show up sometimes, sometimes I, I play small versus thinking really big or trying to go bigger, better, harder. Um, because sometimes playing small is comfortable and being able to sit in my comfort zone is a, is a thing that I enjoy sometimes. I'm not going to act like I'm not human, right? How, it's, it's the realization <laughs> and the self-awareness of when that fear is starting to take over other parts of my life and then being able to address it accordingly, right? So one, I think you've talked a lot about self-awareness. What are you fearful of? Like, what is, what is that core fear that, that a lot of your innate and automatic behaviors are, are protecting is a, is a question to ask yourself. Um, it's also a question you can get a lot of good feedback from other people, right? What are my natural tendencies to react right. in certain ways? You get some feedback on that. It's a, it's a good one. Um, but after the self-awareness, then it's really about the choice of, do I want to choose to change this? And if you're willing to change that, then that's something you got to go in the direction towards. If you're not, drop it. And stop creating friction around something that doesn't need to be created friction around, right? We're not all going to be the best at absolutely everything, but there's those things that we're going to choose and especially that align with our values that are going to be most important to driving us to where we want to go. Absolutely. So let's jump into a little bit more like concrete stuff. How do we, how do we improve our mental capacity? Let's, let's get into like a process here that someone can follow through with today after this discussion and just literally put down into words, how can we move forward in terms of building that mental capacity? And perhaps yep. even resilience. Yep. The two things I'll, I'll touch on now are structure and input. So the first one is structure. I think the easiest parts of your day to control are the bookends. The first hour to two hours of your day and the last hour really before bed. That's true. So when you look at a course of an average day, everything goes every which way. You have fires to put out. If you have an inbox, you know what that's like, right? There's a million <laughs> things that come up and you're like, damn it. Why, why now? <laughs> Right. So I say, you know, really the, before the, the sun rises, um, you know, really before the hours of seven o'clock is, is oftentimes your time to get that personal time in for yourself, the structure the power hour. you want it to be. Yeah. That power hour. I love uh, Hal McElroy's book, um, the miracle morning. It's got some really great tips in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the last, the last hour is typically the time that we also have a little bit more structure and we could put things around. The next part of that is, is input. What you consume is ultimately what you become, right? We always talk about you're the, the, the average of the five people that you spend the most time with. Those are people that you're consuming. You're consuming their ideas, their thoughts, their beliefs. And you spend that, that time with people that really inspire you. You're probably going to be a more inspirational person, more inspired person. I also look at that as everything from what I'm reading to what I'm looking at on my social media to uh, the the podcasts I'm listening to in my drive to work, the audiobooks in which I'm listening to, my routine is pretty, pretty set. It fluctuates a little bit, but my routine is pretty set in terms of I want to get a workout in the morning. I want to make sure I'm meditating after that workout. It's an easy kind of chain flow for me. Um, and then it's some type of reflective work, right? Whether I'm reading something and then reflecting on it and creating a tweet off of it or making a daily juice post, which is like my Instagram blog, uh, something is happening where I'm able to, to generate more ideas and insight in the morning. And on my way to work, I'm typically listening to a podcast or an audiobook. So before the morning, before my day really starts, 
I have momentum moving into my day. So when I look at the mental game, having routines that are really structured routines around, I know that these things are going to get me in the right state of mind. And then being able to control and really regulate my inputs, the content inputs that I'm putting in there during those times are two important places to look. So you just mentioned that you meditate. Tell us more about that. Yeah, I am on a 29-day streak, proudly on a 29-day streak because oh, I really God. struggled with meditation before, um, with Headspace. I love Headspace. Mm. Calm was another great one um, for app users. Um, but you know, I've I've looked into mindfulness work. Um, I've read you know I've read a few books on it. I love the concept of it, but it's something that never has really been truly ingrained in my practice. Mm-hmm. The, the, cha- the transition right now, you're getting me at an awesome point right now, just like having a high, high yeah, elevation on a lot of things. Yeah, just a lot of things that right now I'm thinking through in a lot of ways is going from the idea of thinking to believing or knowing to believing, right? Love that. And I think, like Chris, you said something before, man. You were like, yeah, there were things that I knew that I should be doing, but I wasn't really doing them, Yeah, right? And I, I think everyone struggles with that. It's, it's kind of the struggle right now that we're all dealing with, with information overload. We have so much great information at the touch of our fingertips, more than any other human has in the, in the history of, of mankind. And what are we doing with that that actually allows us to move our lives, lives forward? And if we're trying a million things at once, they're probably all going to drop. We're trying one thing over and over a million times that will probably stick. So for me, meditation is one of those things that's always been, yeah, I know I should. I know it reduces depression. I know it reduces anxiety. I know that... Um, there's better mental clarity, better focus. Like there's a ton of different uh, at this point now studied and research back benefits of, of meditation. However, going from the idea of knowing to believing has been a pretty big shift. And now it's, it's becoming part of my practice, right? It takes about 30 days to create um, the, the cognitive offload of a habit. It takes a lot longer than that to actually instill it. We always say, say it takes 21 days. And actually, in how, how uh, McElroy's book, he talks about the idea that 28 days is really what you want to aim for because it allows you to sprint through the finish line. The finish line is 21 days. It allows you to actually get through it. Um, but it takes a lot longer than that for it to be automatic. So I'm at the point now where I'm starting to move from, from knowing to believing, and it's been a pretty big shift. Super exciting. Super interesting what you just said. Um, I mean, that, that gets me excited because I can share like my meditation experience as well. Like I went through the same thing. You know, it's important. I just don't do it. You get like a month, you go a month, a month goes by and you look back and like, damn it. I said to myself, I'm going to do this. And now I start again, but now I'm like trying new different things. I'm also using apps. I I've used those that you mentioned. I also use balance. It's quite an amazing app. Um, then also what I'm currently doing is I'm actually doing challenges from different meditation teachers. So that like forces me to be in the challenge, communicate with that community be in that realm of people who meditate, speak about it. So that's like, it sort of pulls me in instead of me trying to push towards going towards like meditation and constantly reaching out to it instead of it just pulling me in. So that's like my way. And then you mentioned something like the thinking to believing and in my own realm, my own world, what I found is like, I call that the belief gap, like this gap Mm. of thinking to believing, like that's my belief gap. How am I closing that gap every single day? Like what actions am I taking how am I putting myself up? How am I setting myself up for success and closing that gap to take me from where I am to where I want to be in a positive, empowered state and beautiful way. So as you mentioned that the, the show's name just came to mind, you're constantly exploring possibility. And I just love that. So thank you for like reiterating what the show is about in this conversation. I just absolutely love that. Chris, let me ask you a follow-up because I think now, now I'm doing a little interview. <laughs> when you talk about, you said the challenges with, with meditation teachers. 
Yeah. What is yeah. building community around your goal? What does that look like for you? Is it you were able to, with these teachers, you're creating a structure of accountability and support. Yeah. And then you said you, sometimes it was inter- interacting with, you know, whatever they're saying or teaching or the people that are part of that challenge. So how do you think about intentionally building community? Well, I think that you need to intentionally find people that speak about common things, like people that aspire to the same thing. That's step number one is people who are like-minded in whatever way. Step two is to have them share. So having them engage, as soon as someone shares, they feel part of a community. They feel like they are adding value to whatever's there. So I find that community is, is this culture that you're forming through the actions that people are taking and engaging within the group. And you form this culture that just keeps inviting more people. And the bigger it grows, the more people it inspires, the more people it excites, and the more it sort of like gives this nice buzz around a community. And that just is like to me, this thriving community. So I guess goals for me would just be looking at a community would be the engagement level and the Mm. type of culture that you harnessing within that group. Love that. It's awesome. Awesome, man. So let's, let's, let's like jump back to the start. Remember I said you had your injury. So uh, I'm aware that it was quite a awful injury. So you said ACL and, and, you know, MCL and, um, I just want to find out how, how important it was for you to track back. And because I can just imagine what you went through in your mind and like what you were saying to yourself. There might have been some negative self-talk. There might have been some, uh, some form of rejection in your own mind. So what like brought you back or how did you get back on track? Just take us like through that story, through that process, how you dealt yeah. with that. Yeah, so so I tore my MCL my freshman year, and then I tore my MCL, ACL, and meniscus my senior year. So intense. Um, we're five games into the season. Um, you know, we're, we're playing University of Pennsylvania, and uh, was catching a ball on the outside. Honestly, I'm mad that I dropped the football. That's that's what I'm. When I go back, I'm, that's what I'm pissed about. <laughs> and you know, just I, I took a really low blow, and mm-hmm. my my you know my ankle stayed where where it was. And my knee went one way, um, and immediately I kind of rolled over on my back, and I knew. I knew it was wrong. I yeah. knew it was wrong. So um, trainers came over. They tested it a few times. I jumped back up. Um, I have a little bit of a complex. I don't like getting walked off. So I hobbled off by myself. I yelled at my team, hey, let's go, because I was all fired up. Um, <laughs> and I immediately kind of broke down. Um, mm-hmm. And I broke down because I... Um, making me go back, man. Like I have, when it comes to letting down my team or feeling as though I... Um, have an opportunity to help my team is um, is something that I just it's, a, it's something I cherish. It's something that I hold yeah. really deeply. And when I couldn't be out there with my guys, really, it, it hurt. It really mm-hmm. hurt. So um, I'm trying to, you know, I'm I'm fighting back tears as as uh, as I possibly as much as I could when I was on the sideline, but because I was trying to be there for my team. Now, you know, the next five weeks go by. It's all prehab. Right. So it's all, you know, all the little muscles trying to keep things going, trying to make sure things don't atrophy because as soon as you don't use a muscle for three days, as you know, it starts to get small and weak. And the, the week of my surgery was slotted for the week of Thanksgiving. Um, we had our team banquet and I actually didn't get captain. So Yale has a single system of cap, single captain system. Um, and there was kind of nothing else I wanted, you know, more really stated um, in my, in my Yale career, I, I really wanted to be captain. It was something that I, a responsibility that I wanted to bear yeah. and I didn't get captain. And then three days later I got ACL surgery. So I went under the knife and surgery went well, 
but there was a few complications that basically meant there was more swelling and pain. All that to say, it was one of the hardest weeks in terms of a, a punch in the gut to my physical identity, to my emotional identity, and to um, really the personal identity that I had formed as a leader. Yeah. So all of that for me kind of got rattled, if not came crashing down. And you asked, okay, how did you actually go ahead and deal with that? Mm. So I went back in the training room the next week and I got, I laid on the table and uh, our PT came over, our physical therapist came over and he, and he said, okay, all right, Seb, you're going to straighten your leg and you're going to lift your leg straight up. So yes, sir. And I, I did what he asked and my leg didn't move. And the signals from my brain that went from my brain to my muscle, to fire weren't getting to my knee because there was so much swelling. Hmm. So imagine yourself as a, as a, you know, an athlete, your entire life being able to pretty much move and, you know, flow however you want to telling your muscle that one of your biggest muscles to move and it's just not doing it. Yeah. Um, you know, it's when you talk about frustration and, and sadness and, you know, all of that coming, coming together, I just, again, one of those moments I kind of just broke down. Um, the next day we got in, we got it off about a centimeter. The next day we got in, we got it off about an inch, then two inches, then five inches. And eventually we started doing multiple reps. And when I look at my ACL, um, I, I talked to my, my current boss about it, General Crystal, and he said, the first thing you got to do when it comes back to coming back from injury, first, you got to prove to yourself that you can do it, right? You got to prove to yourself you can run the way you were used to. You can, you can lift and run and do all the things you used to do. Then you got to prove to others. He said, that's the harder one because for the, for the past nine months, for the past five months, they've seen you in a state that doesn't really prove that you can. So I realized when I got to the summer, when I finally started getting my stride back, when I could start really start running again, that my job was to prove to my teammates that they didn't have to look at that brace on my knee and think any different of who I was going to show up as. Right? I had to reinvent myself as an athlete because it meant that I couldn't always do the things that I used to do. But it also gave me an opportunity to reinvent myself as an athlete. If you break something down, you deconstruct it, it gives you the opportunity to build it back up. Mm -hmm. And that's what I really saw this as an opportunity as. That's quite a deep story, man. Take me back to when I broke my own leg. <laughs> and the same struggle. I mean, you, you, your identity is sort of like in this idea that you are an athlete and then it's taken away from you. So who are you then at your core? And I guess that opens up opportunity to start thinking about things a little bit more deeply. And I love the word that you used here or the phrase, um, reinvent yourself. Because I think we have that opportunity every single day as well. We can think about, I guess that takes us back to the idea of um, how do you want to show up every single day? Who are you? Who, you know, who is Sebastian? Who's Christopher? Who do you show up as and who do you want to be? And I think that's super powerful. So just thank, thank you for taking us through that journey and helping us you were just sharing with us like what you experienced and how you got out of that. I think it's amazing. I don't, I don't want to wrap this up and bring it to what I call the three uh, impact questions. So mm -hmm. I'm going to give it to you one by one. You just give it like a short answer. So what it's, what it's going to be, it's going to be three short questions and I want three short answers. People can take away, they can act on it, they can go and implement whatever you uh, advise them to do. So first thing would be one small action that people can take after this discussion today just go and perform at a higher level. What is one thing, if they can drop this, you know, their, their mics or their earphones rather, if they can drop the earphones now, what is one small thing they can do straight away that will enable them to perform higher? Ask what you should stop doing. So a lot of times we think about what are all the things that we should continue, should continue to be doing? Well, you know, let's add all these new things. Um, it's hard to add when there's no room to add anything else. We only have so much bandwidth. We have only so much 
mental capacity. Like I love the, the phrase RAM, right? We only have so much of the processing power. Asking the question, what do I need to stop doing before I start doing is a question that I'd ask. That is a phenomenal answer. That is really, really good. Like, I love that. Like, I, I want to apply that myself because I constantly think of how I want to keep stacking. And at the end of the day, you can only stack so higher. So I'd rather just remove that doesn't need to be within that stack and have like a smaller, stronger, uh, more stable stack. So I love that answer. But now that throws me into the next question, which is quite now confusing things. <laughs> what, what is one small thing that we can stop doing that is possibly limiting our performance? I cut out the people and the content that no longer serve you. And I think the caveat I'll make there is that we think that when I say cut out people, it means that you're basically being a jackass <laughs> and jerk to people that <laughs> might care about you. Um, it just means investing in what they're saying and how they're saying it. And in some cases, the time that you're spending with them, less. doesn't mean you got to change your character. doesn't mean you have to change how you show up. It just means that you have to stand for yourself in a new way. I love that, man. To just be more conscious about the people that you spend your time with, your quality time with, and like how they can either uplift you or disempower you and then decide who that needs to be or who it needs to be less of. So I just love that. And then last question is one character trait that we can take today, like one trait or quality from high performers that we can embody to be high performers ourselves. Yeah. So I had a great um, conversation with the Brooklyn Nets and their performance coach had said, I said, sir, what is the, what is the number one thing that you see in athletes that Mm. are at the top of their game? Yeah. And he said, consistency. Mm. And putting in the, putting in five minutes every day will get you farther than putting in an hour a week, right? The consistency of waking up, you got Ray Lewis, you've got Steph Curry, you've got Michael Jordan, you've got everybody that says, says this. It is so hard to be consistent day in and day out and show up when you don't want to. Once again, amazing tip. And I think it's great that even though it's been said so many times, we need to reiterate this idea of consistency because we said earlier about the meditations of how we did it and then we lost touch. And now we're getting back into it and there needs to be more consistency. And I just absolutely love that. So guys, for those of you listening, really like take that in, think about it. Don't just brush it off as unimportant and neglect it. Really try and think about how consistency will take you forward in life. If you just like play it out in your mind, if you had to be consistent every single day with a small action compared to doing one big thing and then never doing it again, you can literally see the difference. So just like play it out in your mind, visualize it and just work with it. You'll see it makes sense to you, but you've got to take like a few minutes time and just like ponder about it. Just think about it. So Sebastian, I mean, that was an amazing conversation, but I mean, if there's anyone out there that wants to learn more of what we just spoke about, perhaps they want to get in touch with you. Perhaps they want to follow your content. How do they get in touch? Where do they learn more about you and what you do? Yeah, man. Appreciate, appreciate the question. So uh, you can follow me on, on all social, on Twitter and on, on Instagram. I'm very active. Um, I've got a daily, what I call um, bring the juice, uh, the, a juice basically vlog series um, that I really bring out every day. That's uh, at Seb Little, S-E-B-L-I-T-T-L-E underscore. So at Seb Little underscore, feel free to follow me or reach out on there. Um, you can go to my website, which is www.sebastianlittle.com, S-E-B-A-S-T-I-A-N-L-I-T-T-L-E. Um, and feel free to reach out on any of those. And I'm pretty, pretty responsive. Fascinating stuff, man. I love the bring the juice. Like it's, it's unique <laughs> you. I love that. So like closing question for this, for the show is like, in what way would you like to personally inspire 
or empower or impact the world? Man, um, I've always said I want to put a positive dent in the world. I think, um, uh, you know, when it comes to leaving my legacy, uh, I, I, had the, I had the same thought when I left high school. I had the same thought when I went to Yale, which was how do I leave this place a little bit better than how I found it? Whether that means picking up a piece of trash, whether that means influencing or, or giving, one, giving one person a great idea, how do I leave this place better than how I found it? I think that's a beautiful thing that you're leaving with all of us. Just go and ponder about it. How can we all leave the, the world in a better place than we found it, even if it's the bathroom, you know? Exactly. <laughs> Small places, exactly. let's start there. <laughs> so yeah, Sebastian, thank you so much just for, you know, being on the show. Thank you for providing hugs all over. Thank you for helping people perform at their best. Thank you for helping building leaders and teams that, you know, move the world forward. And I'm just really grateful and inspired for having you on the show and, seeing what you do, your, you know, all the work that you do in the world. And dude, thank you for bringing the juice. Curious, appreciate you, man. Thanks so much for having me on. Cheers, man. Bye. And there we go. That's a wrap for this episode. As usual, thank you so much for listening all the way. Guys, so this is my invite to all those who have sticked through this episode all the way to the end. I want to invite you to our Facebook community where we continue to discuss the topics that we explore here. It's a place where I really encourage and support you on your journey with all your goals. It's a place where we meet like-minded people and it's just really a place where we start to stretch our thinking and you know improve our mindset, work towards growth mindset and all of those things that can help us live a a fulfilling life, a successful life, a life that really feels rewarding and a life that empowers. So if that's you, if you feel like you enjoyed the content, if you resonate with any of that, if you resonate with the mission and the vision of the show, which is seeing the world through the lens of possibility, then join this group, engage with us and become part of the community. That's about it from my side. Once again, if you like this episode, please share it with someone else out there. I'm sure they will benefit from this episode, especially if you found any points interesting and then also get in touch with Sebastian just to follow up on anything that you might have liked and then follow up with me if there's anything that you liked or did not like. Let me know if you enjoyed the episode. Let me know if you did not enjoy the episode as I'm always trying to, I'm striving to continue developing what I give out, you know, what I, how I serve people and how I can create a better listening experience and just a better experience in general because I really want to support you in your journey towards the best version of yourself. So please get in touch, share the episode and I'll see you guys in the next episode of Exploring Possibility. So don't be afraid to go and explore and find that possibility. Cheers guys.